Uh, The reading this morning is taken from Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through to 35, which is the end of the chapter. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent... Stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Let's um, pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are our living word. Thank you that your word speaks life and encouragement to us and challenge to us and many other things beside. And we pray that you will uh, enliven our hearts towards your word uh, this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I um, looked at this passage in preparation for today, I was slightly overwhelmed uh, in that whole kind of sense of not really knowing uh, what, where to focus, where, where to start. I, I was very distracted by the fact that Jesus uh, called Herod a fox and was trying to work out what on earth that was all about. And so I did what's called a deep dive. Now, I don't know any of you have heard of a deep dive before, uh, but a deep dive in, in biblical studies is a method where you conduct an intense, in-depth analysis of a certain subject. The result of which is, I have a 10-point sermon for you today. Um, but thankfully, they're all very brief points. Uh, but the thing I found is that as I just looked at these verses, as I did that deep dive, as I looked into the meaning of some of the things that Jesus was saying, the significance of what he said and when it took place, I just had lots of moments of, oh, I never knew that before. Or, wow, that was amazing. Or, oh, Jesus, that's incredible. And I found at the end of, of that deep dive um, that I just fell more in love with Scripture, more in love with his word, more in love with who Jesus is. And my hope is that as I kind of go through these 10 points, um, and I'm not going to number them as I go through, because otherwise you'll think, oh, there's still another six to go. Um, but as I go through, that hopefully there'll be the odd thing or, or, or maybe all of them that just make you do that same thing, that same response that I had uh, for myself. And one of the first things that I discovered is that as you kind of look at the relationship between the Pharisees and Jesus in this scene, that their motive isn't entirely clear. I will be honest. But it does kind of make you ask the question or made me ask the question, is it fair to say that not all Pharisees were bad? You know, there's this tendency to think that Jesus was always really angry at the Pharisees, really annoyed. I read a book uh, a few months ago called What Makes Jesus Mad, and it essentially said the Pharisees was its argument. But actually, 
the thing you realize is that Jesus loved the Pharisees and his desire was for them to see him for who he was, to see God for what he was doing. And it's possible to say that there were probably some good Pharisees in the mix. And I think some of these Pharisees who'd come to Jesus, if their motive is right, may have been some of those good Pharisees. They may have simply just been trying to get rid of him. But I think, you know, I always tried to see the best in people. I generally believe that people are doing the best with what they have in life. And these Pharisees may have been some of those good ones who generally wanted to protect and help Jesus. We'll come to that and the significance of that again in a minute. So then why did Jesus call Herod a fox? What is that all about? I mean, I don't know about you, but that when you read it, it sounds like an insult, doesn't it? That Jesus is just throwing this throwaway insult, which seems so out of character for him. Jesus could say challenging things all the time, but to say it as an insult seems a bit wrong of Jesus. But it's not actually an insult. It's a statement of fact. So when we think about foxes today and you call someone a fox today, you're essentially saying that they're, they're sly and a bit wryly and a bit un, untrustworthy. Uh, that's generally what we associate foxes with. But to the people of, uh, to, to the, in the Hebrew, a fox is basically a term that you use to describe somebody who wasn't quite all that they said that they were. So here we have Herod. Now, this particular Herod is, is the son of the Herod who, cried, who tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. So some time has passed. This Herod has come into power, and he is exactly that. He is a fox because he's claiming, on the one hand, to be a leader for the Jews, to say, I'm here for the Jewish people, I represent and I love the Jewish people. And on the other hand, he's building a city on a Jewish burial ground. He also is the kind of person who says, I'm here for the Jews, but whenever a Jew comes to him and challenges him for his behavior, which is awful, to be honest, he was a horrible man who did horrible things. His, his idea of marriage was just unbelievable. And John the Baptist called him up on it and was arrested as a result. This is the same Herod who had John the Baptist beheaded, yet claims to be a supporter of the Jews. So by calling him a fox, Jesus is simply pointing out the fact, here is somebody who claims to be one thing, but actually is not. He's claiming to have this support of the Jews, but the reality is. And the Pharisees just sort of gone, oh yeah, yeah, that fox, that's what we know him as. That's, that's, you're just saying what he is. So it's not an insult. Um, and so we find Jesus calling him a fox, basically claiming that he's, he's weak and unfaithful as a person. And Jesus thirdly knows that his time is coming and that God's timing is perfect. There's this wonderful bit where Jesus is saying, uh, uh, today and tomorrow I'm going to stay here. On the third day I'll do my thing. And then he repeats it and says, today and tomorrow and the next day. That's essentially just a way of saying here, I'm going to be here for as long as I decide is right. I'm not going to be driven out by Herod. I'm not going to be driven out by you telling me that I should leave. I will go when I go, and I will come back to Jerusalem when I come back to Jerusalem. I will decide. God has decided the timing of my time here in Jerusalem, because we know that the next time he comes back is significant. We'll come to that in a minute as well. Jesus knows that God's timing is perfect, and he's not going to allow other people to govern that timing or tell him when he should we see also in this passage Jesus' deep, deep love for the people and the city of Jerusalem. And we know it's a deep, deep love because he names it 
twice. You can count on one hand the number of times Jesus uses someone's name twice. And when he does, it's significant. And then when he does, it's normally because he's either trying to get their attention or because he's showing just how much they mean to him. You see it once with Martha, you see it with Peter, and you see it with Saul. And that desire that Jesus has to get their attention and show his love for them, to say the name twice, uh, and he does it here over Jerusalem. Such is his love for the people of Jerusalem, his burning desire for them to know him for who he is, his burning desire for them to fulfill their potential that was always been God's plan and it's never quite managed to do. And so Jesus' love for Jerusalem is so clear by the way that he names it twice. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. In the other gospel writers' version of this passage is where we find that two-word verse, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Such was his love. And then Jesus goes on to liken himself in a really unusual way. So when he has labeled Herod as a fox, you can think there about the idea of predators. Now I found out in my, in my deep dive uh, that the fox is the, is the greatest predator in the UK. It's the highest predator in the UK. But in the context of the world, it doesn't even feature in the top 10. There are spiders and snakes more dangerous than foxes in the world. Doesn't even come close. In fact, I don't think it's even in the top 20 around the world. And so what Jesus could do in this moment, in order to strike fear into the heart of Herod, he could say, but I'm the lion of Judah. I'm the lion. I'm, I'm the apex predator. I am the lion of Judah. So Herod should go running. And that's what the Jews are hoping he's going to do. That's what they're hoping Jesus is going to do. He's going to come in as his authority. He's going to drive out Herod and his likes. And he's going to take his seat on the throne and all those things. But we know that's not the way of the kingdom of God. We know that's not the way of Jesus. Jesus says, for I am like a hen, a mother hen, who gathers her chicks under the wing. A hen is the prey of the fox. But Jesus, in his humility, in his love for his people, in his mercy and grace, shows that the way of the kingdom is not force, it's love. The way of the kingdom is love. And so Jesus uses that likening himself to the hen. And we see here also that there's a kind of tension here between, possibly a tension between Jesus and the Pharisees in the sense that they are people who are maybe working for Herod or doing what Herod says, understanding or hoping him to be this leader of the Jews, which he's never going to be. And Jesus calling them into relationship with him. He's saying, look, your house is left you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is saying in this moment, I think, that if you choose to follow the way of the world you're choosing to not follow him and there's a choice there to be made choose to accept Jesus for who he is those Pharisees could at that moment have got up and followed Jesus and said Jesus yes we follow you we know you're not afraid of Herod we're going to follow you to the end of the earth we're not afraid of Herod either we're going to come with you but they don't and we know they don't because Jesus says, the next time you see me means that there's going to be a time coming 
And we know how significant that time is as well, and we'll come to that as well. So there's a choice to follow the world, but if you do that, you're walking away from Jesus. And we find here in the Pharisees, whatever their motive, whether they're just trying to get rid of Jesus or whether they generally are concerned from him, they are trying to protect Jesus from death, not knowing that his death is going to save them. They're trying to save him from death. And what's to come, what we know is to come, is that his death is going to save them. And you and me and us all. And then we see, going back to Jesus' relationship to Jerusalem, when he says, how often I have longed to gather your children together shows that Jesus has been involved from the beginning. That Jesus has always been the plan. He's always been the reason. He's always been the one who's just desired. You can kind of imagine that if Jesus is the word of God, as we find in John 1, that he is, that we can trust and say that Jesus is the one speaking through the prophets throughout the Old Testament. That desire, that call to come back to God as Father, that call to come back and know him as the Father that he is, that call back to relationship. And Jesus has tried time and time again to call them back to repentance, to call them back to relationship. And you can almost hear that anguish in his voice is saying time and time I've tried and time and time you've rejected but we know the time is coming when he'll do it once and for all and we know that time because he says I tell you you will not see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord we know that when Jesus next comes into Jerusalem and those words are on the lips of the people we're entering into holy week we're entering into that final week of Jesus's life on earth where we remember all that Jesus did for us. And we see in this, finally, we're already on point 10, so I told you it wouldn't take long. We see in this that Jesus does not have any fear of man. Jesus knows that God's heart and God's will for him succeeds everything, is above everything, And so he does not need to be afraid of Herod. The Pharisees were probably expecting Jesus to go, oh, I better go, I better get going, I better run then if Herod's trying to get me. But he's not afraid of Herod because he doesn't fear man. He fears the Father. He loves his Father. He does the will of his Father. And he knows, as we said, his timing is perfect. All of that from four verses of Scripture Does that not make you love scripture a little bit more? I mean, it does for me. I mean, we're in this season of Lent where we are seeking this this kind of desire to get to know Jesus better. And you can't do much wrong than just sitting down and reading the Gospels every day through Lent. To sit and read the story of Jesus. Because in four verses, we found that here is Jesus who loves his people. Here is Jesus who is calling people to relationship with him. Here is Jesus who is like uh, the perfect love of a mother hen gathering his children under his wings. Here is Jesus 
who has no fear of man. Here is Jesus who trusts his father intently. Here is Jesus who knows that God's timing is absolutely perfect. Here is Jesus who, even though he knows what is coming, is carrying on doing the mission and the work of his father. Here is Jesus who has a desire for all of his people to come to know him. Here is Jesus who has a a love for Jerusalem, who's been involved from the very beginning, who has this desire from the beginning, and is going to see that desire through to completion on the events of the cross when he comes into Jerusalem again and people declare, blessed be the name of the Lord. We see that Jesus in just four verses of scripture. (laughs) Just four verses. So this Lent, the call and the challenge is to get to know Jesus for who he is, not just what he did for us as grateful as we are. Get to know Jesus for who he is. Because he's worth knowing and he's worth following. He's worth trusting. He's worth walking with every single day. Yes, he offers us life in eternity and we are forever grateful for that. But he also offers us life in its fullness right now, today, in this moment for you. This is Jesus who is life. This is the word that is life. So let's seek and commit ourselves to know him better this Lent season. So that when we come to the events of Easter, knowing who he is, it means all the more to us what he's done for us. Amen. Let's just take a moment just to be still. There may be one or two things there that the Spirit just highlighted to you as an encouragement, as a challenge, as an invitation, as a a change of a renewal of mind. I don't know what it may be, but let's just give the Spirit a moment to just seal what he's doing in you so that you don't walk out just thinking, oh, I've heard a sermon, but actually so that the Word of God is, is able to change you. That's a work of the Spirit in our lives. And so, Spirit, we, we just open ourselves up to you and say, would you, would you seal in us what your living word is saying? Your word that is sharper than a double-edged sword, that's living and active, that is useful for rebuking and teaching and, and building up. Spirit, would you do that? Those things that we've caught hold of this morning, would you... Make them part of us. And with whatever it is, may we respond with our yes and our amen to you. Whether we need to see your love for your people, whether we need to see your perfect timing, to see your gentleness to choose to follow you and not the ways of the world, whether we need to trust you more. Whether we need to lay down a fear of man in order to fear God. Or whether we just need to get to know you better. Jesus, would you help us in that? Thank you that you have begun a good work in us and you will see it through to completion. So we surrender ourselves to you again, saying, have your way in me.
And our desire is that your kingdom come and your will be done. Amen.